not satisfied with being an entrepreneur, a businessman, a documentary maker, and a conservationist. Nelson-based Peter Butler has again sprung into print with his first novel for young people. A one-time hippie, he helped develop Health Post, based in Collingwood, in Golden Bay. He's now chair of Health Post Nature Trust, helping Doc and local Iwi uh, restore thousands of hectares of land at the northwest tip of the South Island, including a predator-proof enclosure at Cape Farewell, where breeding seabird colonies are being introduced. I disclose an interest. I appear to be the patron of said trust. Plus, his business, Forest Herbs Research, grows and markets the native herb Horobito at Kaituna. Now the book, an epic adventure, set in Kahurangi National Park, or rather beneath it, where a brother and sister on a rescue mission for their injured mother discover a secret tribe in the underground caves. It's called Night Tribe. Uh, kia ora, Peter Butler. Um, Morena, Kim. How are you? Oh, good, thanks. This is action-packed, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I worked on it to try and um, keep it moving, yeah. I was told there were sort of a few flat spots in it, so so I worked worked on them to, to try and keep it moving and interesting. What did you do with the flat spots? Get rid of them or insert yeah. action? A bit of both, I think, yeah. 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 And I see Horopito gets an honourable mention. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. of course. And uh, gold miner Gus, you know, my uh, my son Gus. You That's know, I right. Of, I, sl- I thought I'd slip him in there as well. What else? Uh, oh, well, i tell you what else, because <laughs> it's a small world. You mentioned, one of the kids mentions the guy that got lost on the heavy track for 30-something days and ate worms. And When I was working for the Nelson Evening Mail, I covered that story. Oh, wow. The emergence of this emaciated guy. Yeah, it was a great story, wasn't it? They, they, it was a great story. They spotted him, uh, yeah, a, low fly, a helicopter or a low-flying plane, and he just thought to, to leave his tent or something out on a riverbed, and mm. it was like one of those luck things. But the... The Californian woman that, that went missing, you know, has never been found. You know, that was not such a good ending. No. It's strange, actually, because when you walk the heavy track, you think, because it's so well marked, you think, how oh, could anybody get, you know, lost here? But it can happen mm. quite well, easily. When I worked on it um, back in the day. Back when, in the day. It when was, it was Forest Service, right? Yeah, it was Forest Service. And we used to speculate um, where she went missing and what could have happened. And there's that big zigzag going up. And I think the best theory we came to, and sometimes it wasn't always clear, sometimes there'd be sort of an animal track going off the end of a zig or a zag. And that was kind of the theory that she might have just kept going into the bush. And then once you get a bit disorientated, especially if you're not sort of used to the New Zealand bush, you know, um, yeah, you can just get into trouble, can't you? But it's strange that no... No remains have ever been found of that woman, and her family came and searched and all, didn't they? So yeah. I've sort of got a, um, I've got a, I've got a happier version of her, uh, sort of slipped into the into the story. Yeah. yeah. Um, accompanying this book, the publisher One Tree House has got teachers' notes, um, which are extraordinarily good, and they cover, you know, all sorts of areas. I was looking at uh, opportunities for cross curricular activities such as learning about the effects of vitamin D deficiency and inbreeding and evolutionary adaptation. Vitamin D deficiency and inbreeding, of course, applying to this underground tribe. Yeah, well, I tried to think, I tried to make it as realistic as possible. In fact, I wouldn't even be surprised if there weren't people, you know, 
living a no, okay, I'll stop that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, but come but, on. But you know, if they if they were vitamin D, you know, the, the lack of sunshine would be a real issue. So, but I managed to 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 work a little a little angle around that. Yeah, yeah. they've got a hack for the vitamin D. Yeah, the inbreeding is something possibly more sensitive. Yeah, yeah, that was tricky. That was tricky. And the first some of the early versions were a little sort of unwholesome in in terms of perhaps uh, you know of. Of, of why the kids ended up there, but but I, I've sort of worked that out of the story too. Yeah. So so it's more that they're there as potential leaders and and to uh, to inform the the night tribe is sort of hanging out to sort of be the life raft for the human race when you know the next virus or the next atomic war or something comes through. So um, because they're just peripherally aware that these things are going on. Um, so they but to stay in touch, the only way they can stay in touch is sort of. Bits and pieces of information they pick up, like Rod and Gun magazine from from tramp, Trampers Huts and yeah. things. So, so they they when these kids got lost and sort of turned up at their doorstep, they thought they'd be a useful source of of information, the real the real oil um, on, on what was going on out, out there, especially with COVID. What is the best way to catch an eel? Ah. Uh, or something rotten, isn't it? A bit of rotten meat or something. Gosh, there's because one of the kids dangles their foot and. The smelly sock in the stream and the eel latches on. I don't think that's far-fetched, is it? Uh, is it? it the, yeah, the eel latched onto the girl and then and then the, the, the brother went fishing with her. With, with that her. didn't work. And it didn't work, no. But, but eels would latch onto a foot and a sock, wouldn't they? they? Vary, I think they vary a lot where they are. You know, those, those ones um, in the Karamea Lakes, for instance, are notoriously aggressive. So I don't know. Maybe they sort of vary genetically as to their, their degree of, of aggression in that. But I, well, I remember trying to cross the... the um, Kaituna River, up at your end, where you grow the horopito, close to there, and it was in flood. And we dropped a wee piece of sandwich into the water, and the eels just went into a frenzy. Well, I wouldn't get into the water after that, Peter. No, 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 it's a bit freaky. Yeah, I had a friend once, and, and he was into shooting eels. It was, well, yeah, this was years and years ago. When you could shoot eels. Yeah, and, right. uh, and uh, yeah, that feeding frenzy thing, it's pretty, um, uh, it's almost um, upsetting, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's slightly upsetting, especially when you have to cross the river. Poof. No. Um, you were talking about the people, the cropper people, they're called, What's the historical origin of them? Crops, uh, the the um, croppers, the um, so the people that ended up there, uh, they were prisoners that escaped from um, Botany Bay. They've been transported. And, Is this a true story? Yeah, it's all based on on reality. So there were there were um, great accounts of 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 prisoners that escaped from from Australia from the colonies. They would. A lot of them, some of them were quite handy with boats, and so they would pinch a boat. Um, there was a, a fabulous um, story around around a woman who just kept doing it, her and her, her band of, of 40 thieves, and they end up in Indonesia. And then the, uh, but the Brits would go and hunt them down. You know, you'd kind of think if somebody, you know, wanted to make a run for it and got as far as that, you'd just kind of leave them be. But there was, um, yeah, there was a group that did um, land and shipwreck on uh, Wekakura uh, Point, um, on that deserted coastline, halfway between Karamea and and Golden Bay, West Haven Inlet, and and I kind of made them 
and they didn't come to a particularly good end. They they tried to walk around to Nelson and and made it about halfway before they got eaten really. So um, but but I used kind of I used events like that so that it's all pretty um hooked on historical reality. Yeah. Or at least something that could have happened. Yeah. Speculative fiction, I called it earlier. Does yeah, I thought you? that was quite a quite Did you a like nice, that? Oh, I did. Yeah. Who's Nihal? Well, he was a real guy. He was uh, he was one of Tirat Braha's lieutenants who was sort of they were sort of get you know in that in that military tradition they were sort of given territories as my understanding you know um, for be, for supporting Tirat Braha and and his guys and uh, and that was his patch was down West Haven and he used to um, extract tribute um, from people you know those early explorers that wanted to go down there so he was uh, a, r- a real guy kicking around and uh, and, uh, and and a bit on the aggressive side apparently the um you mentioned the 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 people underground were thinking that they're going to save humanity by surviving when all else is destroyed around them that's a kind of a golden bay trope isn't it there are people who've moved to golden bay from america and have built sort of bunkery places. Yeah, I haven't really sort of made that connection, but but you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. It is. Um, I reckon that's what made you think about that. It could, could Don't well you have think? been well subconsciously. Yeah, it could um, well be. Yeah, it was just more probably um, just reading. There's so many neat kids' books out there for for um, early early teenagers, and I and I just wanted to challenge myself to try and write a, a, a good one rather than an average one. Yeah, I mean it is a good one. Because it's a page turner, it's exciting. Well, thank you. Um, the other thing about it is that it's, you know, it's got lots of, as the teacher notes tell me, it's got lots of things that you can think about in terms of um, survival, in terms of environmentalism, in terms of, you know, what you're supposed to do in extremists in the bush. As basic as that. Yeah, I wanted to get a lot of that sort of stuff in there without it being like a lecture. No. You know, that was that was the the challenge to actually impart a lot of information, like that early political information. I mean, I bet a lot of um, you know early teenagers don't aren't aware of of the transportation and, and things like that. But to sort of slip that in in, in a quiet sort of way a, as a background, uh, um, you know, without going on about it and without really taking positions like the uh, the environmental one. You know the the night tribe, they're a bit annoyed with the 1080 drops, as you can imagine, because they're trying to live off the land. And, and then the kids sort of uh, lecture them about, you know, to explain to them what that what that's all about. So, again, sort of, you know, putting, putting stuff out there, arguments out there without, um, without really taking a position, just, um, yeah, trying to, I don't know, inform, I suppose. One of the, um, the teacher's notes, you can see I'm terribly taken with these teacher's notes, <laughs> is, and I was thinking about this because next week I'm talking to somebody who was part of a commune in Golden Bay in the 80s, the name of which completely eludes me. Rainbow? No, it wasn't Rainbow. Um, Not Happy Sam. No, it wasn't Happy Sam. Um, Then it's that one out, uh, Wainui um, Tui, is it? No, none of those. Anyway... She's talking about, you know, how everybody sets out idealistically and things often turned out not to be incredibly good. And you, one of the themes here, according to the teacher's notes, Peter, 
is that societies set out to treat everyone the same as they did underground, but they end up developing hierarchies and prejudices nonetheless. Yeah, well, it's true, isn't it? You know, um, so yeah, that was a yeah. I mean, another truism to try and sort of slip in there. Yeah, that that they. Uh, yeah, the, the, the leader, the navigator, as he was called, because they had these sort of nautical terms. I had quite fun with that. Like, they had a philosopher, they got a philosopher, and, um, you know, they got a librarian and different people, and they were just called, their names are what their tasks are. Why is empathy called empty? Well, that was, a, now that was a margin call, and, 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 and possibly not that PC. Um, uh, I, th- I think it was about her, her not, 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 Breeding, not oh, not having a baby. I see. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a bit handmade. Yeah. What's it? But she wanted to be poet, didn't she? Yeah, she did. Yeah, and she so she came up with that sort of dodderal kind of verse all the time that started irritating the kids. Yeah, but it was good. You must have had fun with that. Yeah, it was a bit. You had fun writing it. Well, yeah, I'll almost miss it. I mean, ten edits over ten years. You know, it was, became sort of part of my life. But I'm quite pleased to have it move on as well. I suppose. Have you got another one in the pipeline? Yeah, I'm working on something at the moment. Yeah. Um, Kate says, Peter's book sounds fascinating. Look forward to him donating a copy to the Collingwood Library. I'm sure you're going to do that. Absolutely. Several copies. I'll yeah. be bound. Yeah. Mark says, I had an eel latch onto my leg in the Anafata River some years ago. I kept rubbing the bite mark, hoping the battle scars would last forever. <laughs> but sadly not. Um, how's the Cape Farewell Sanctuary going? Um, yeah, good, Kim. We're, um, all the latest is we, we're doing, we're going to do a survey. So we sort of segue, as you know, to whatever, um, you know, we find interesting or seems pressing at the time. So, um, the last trustee meeting, which was only a week ago, the, the guys have just done a survey of bittens and found no real bittens. And then the, the subject of, um, banded dotterels come, came up and, and people have been taking them for granted that they're just around the beaches. And then, um, you know, Andrew Lamison, our, our doc guy said, well, actually, they, they, they are actually suddenly disappearing. So, so we've just instituted a, we're going to get a whole lot of, uh, recording devices and we're going to do a banded dotterels survey out on the, out on the spit. All right. Yeah. And and I think the the predator free project out there is getting some momentum at last. So so that's a relief. So if we can, if they can get rid of all the predators, we're we're as keen as mustard to um to start reintroducing shorebirds or whatever we can do to um to bring bring um, native life back to uh, back to that wonderful spot. And I presume that the the predators out on the spit are the same everywhere else. There's lots of stoats, aren't there? There's lots, well, there lots of stoats. Well, there's lots of pigs too. They had a crack at the pigs. I haven't got an update on that. Because it's strange, isn't it? Because you're out there and you see the spit and you think, what could possibly live out mm. here? But there's a lot of bush up the middle there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you would. the other thought I've always had, and that was right at the beginning, was how hard can it be, you know, because it's so narrow. You've got those seas on both sides. Yeah. So, um, but it does seem to be... Well, for Doc to give something the go-ahead these days, they've got to have really rigorous science and tests and things like that. So that's really what's held that up is, is kind of you can't just start sort of random trapping. You've actually got to have a, a plan that's looking at eradication that's going to, you know, that's sort of pass the, um, pass, passes their litmus tests. So you're not thinking of um, getting banded dotterels up there within the, the Cape Farewell 
sanctuary itself. No, no, that's really just for the um, for the burrowing seabirds. Right. Yeah, but um, some look. The other news there, though, is that we, as you know, we've been reintroducing for the last two years yeah. the fluttering shearwater, and then we're getting lots of camera footage of of feral flutterers coming and because we play fluttering out to the um, Tasman Tasman Ocean with these big speakers, which is kind of neat. And um, we're getting. Would you give me a sample? <laughs> Wish I could. Uh. And. Um, I think it's not a particularly pleasant sound, right. and um, yeah, so they're getting images by the cat, by the by the speakers of these these fluttering shearwater starting to nose around those those um, tunnels and nest boxes we've got. So. Only fluttering shearwaters, rather. Ah, uh, no, as other well. sorts too. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. So oh. you know, it's going to be it's going to be full of. It's full of different birds are going to call it home soon, Kim. Are there, are there, will they all live together happily or will they break up into hierarchies and develop look prejudices? At, look at the end of <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, good point. But, but look, I saw a whole lot living really happily on the end of Nelson Boulderbank, and that was a, a revelation to me. There was um, black-backed gulls, which are supposed to be so aggressive, and they were nesting right next to, I don't know, all sorts. There was about six different species all nesting together, and I thought, well, that's nice. They can get along. Um, somebody has said, I'm to tell you, that there are bison in need of care in Golden Bay. We've watched a breeding pair in Rakopi wetland for the last 10 years, yeah. competing with cows and dogs. Oh, gosh. And there are more out at the swamp. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that's a that's a hot spot, isn't it? The uh, Mangaraka. That's your next task. Thank yeah. you, Peter Butler, uh, oh, talking Kim. about his book Night Tribe. Can I slip in a quick? Comment? No, Kim. Yes. Enjoy no, the no. weekend.